Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was instantly healed. There's a certain <clears throat> blessing we have, even though it's not the same. There's a certain thing the video gives us, the remote stuff gives us that wouldn't be possible otherwise. For example, uh, one of my children had the idea, why don't we try to get everyone online at the same time? It's a bit difficult because there's 18 hours difference between us and where Dave and Amy are. However, it kind of worked and it was, it was just a nice, just kind of a moving event for the family. I want to just have a confession that as I was preparing for this morning and reading through the scripture in Matthew's gospel and uh, being somewhat familiar with it and this, this particular uh, scripture, this particular event, this particular story also appears in Mark's gospel. So any one of us probably who has been exposed to the Bible to the New Testament, to the Gospels, probably have heard this story before. If you haven't, well, it's, it is an in-your-face kind of story. And for me, let's just say I was quite moved by it. Not just the mechanics, not just the, the chronology or the course of events, but what actually happened, what things were said, what things that Jesus said or didn't say, for me, they at least caused me some pause, at least. And so I hope, it's going to be my prayer, that as we engage with God's Word, as we do on a regular basis, the Christians, the believers, the followers of Jesus here at Trinity Grace Church, I, 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 it's my prayer that these, these words, the Logos, Jesus, the Logos, would, in a sense, move us all in some small or gigantic way. So what I'd like us to do is, is, in the next few minutes, I've got the uh, scriptures here again that, that Carmen read, and I'm just going to page through them, 
And in this little segment of two minutes or three minutes, uh, chill out, read along, ponder, pray, whatever, whatever you think the Spirit wants you to do. You're here today for a reason. I believe it's because the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, has, has drawn you here. So I'm just going to page through. I believe there is great uh, power in actually just a public reading of God's Word. Uh, it's a biblical idea, and I do believe that looking at the history of the church, this is really a means of grace. So I'm just going to page through, and at the very bottom, there's an image that you might want to look at. And as I say, you can pray, you can just ponder, and um, at the end of it, I'll say a short prayer. Father, we pray to you in heaven, sense that you occupy all of the universe, the heavens. You're certainly there, but we also believe you're here with us, that Jesus, the Logos, the Word, the, the, the means of your communication is here. And Lord, we've been reading your Word. We thank you that Jesus is the living Word. And we also believe we are, we believe and affirm with every saint that's ever lived that the Holy Spirit is also here with us, reminding us of Jesus, his nature, his beauty, his works, the truth that is in him, drawing us to him. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for that work and the conviction that often comes with that, that we need to be stopped, that we need to do the hard thing to repent, become humble, and to admit who we are and who you are. And Lord, we pray that your grace, your kindness would fill this place. Amen. All right, a uh, little survey here. The good things about surveys is there's no wrong answers. So, a uh, little survey, just, and you can raise your hand if you 
feel uninhibited. All right, so here's the first question. So here we have a map of what you might think of as the uh, United Kingdom or Great Britain. There's the Union Jack there. So, survey. How many of you were schooled, went to school in a system that was in some way affected or set up or designed or based on the British school system? So, how many of you? Quite a strong majority. All right. Next. How many of you uh, were subjected, uh, fell in love, uh, were swooning, were barfing over having to read the plays of William Shakespeare? There you go. So <laughs> it's the same number of hands, by the way. <clears throat> uh, this man, incredible. I mean, look when he lived. It is, by the way, the same kind of era that the King James Bible was printed or was put together. He wrote about 40 plays. Um, in those plays are almost one million words. He wrote in total about 160 works, plays and sonnets and things like that. Um, he introduced 3,000 words into the English language. So for those of you who think that we have a static language. Well, if you're like Shakespeare, you may be able to do something about that. And, and apparently, you know, in our culture, in the British culture, the English culture, which has gone all over the world, um, there are certain phrases that people quote. You know, uh, when you quote something, you are observing an experience and you say a phrase that's been said before, perhaps by your teachers or by your parents, or your grandparents, because it's just something that's common about human nature, and someone has coined uh, an expression that you just say, oh yeah, ABC. So, this is more of a quiz time. Think of it as a survey. Again, there's no wrong answers, or if you're wrong, remember, the quality of mercy is not strained. No one's going to get mad at you. This is Trinity Grace Church. All right, so here are a few, a few of expressions from the plays of William Shakespeare. And you may know them or not, but so here we go. So how many of you have ever heard of this one? Yeah. And this is good, right? I mean, this is, this is, does anyone happen to know what play it's from? Hamlet, good. And it's Hamlet himself, isn't it? With his skull and, and all of that. And this is beautiful. This, this is the essential question of being, of being a human. And so this one is really, really good. Uh, how about this one? Anyone ever heard this one? Uh, yeah, good. And do you remember what play it's from? You know, Caesar, right. It's like, and it's said actually by Caesar. His close friend actually kills him and it's as he's dying. <laughs> you too. It's, it's like, um, and so maybe you've heard that when someone kind of, we say, throws you under the bus, maybe. How about this one? Has anyone ever heard of this one? Yeah. 
Anyone know what this one's from? This is maybe more difficult. Uh, this one's also from Hamlet. Uh, this one's a good one. Maybe you, anyone heard this one before? Yeah. It's just right. It's from As You Like It. It's basically everyone is playing games. Everyone likes to, to grandstand. People have a little drama going on in their life, and it's not really uh, who they are, let's say. This one's for you, Zach. Pay attention. How about, does anyone know where this one's from? Um, I was in High Park. Now, the good thing about these plays is that if you don't have any money and, and it's outdoors, they're actually Shakespearean plays that are in our city every year that are outdoors and you can go and you can see them for free. There was, a, there was a series that was going on in High Park. Now with COVID, I'm not sure how it's gonna work, but it's outdoors. So maybe all the players are gonna have masks on. I'm not sure how that would work. But I remember Allison and I went to uh, High Park and uh, Twelfth Night was playing there. That's the story of the twins, they get separated. And this is the opening, the opening words from Twelfth Night. So if any of you are interested in wooing or love and everything, this might be a good line to say to your beloved. Ah, uh, how about this one? Anyone heard of this one before? Yeah. Uh, we maybe quote it as all that glitters is not gold, but I think the quote actually is from, is glisters. Anyone know what play this one's from? Merchant of Venice. Correct. Um, for me, grade nine, my first exposure to Shakespeare was this particular play. It's part of the Ontario Ministries guidelines, I guess. That was the play that they were saying was that you could do in grade nine. So here I was as a 13-year-old and being trying to read this stuff. And really, I, it was lost on me. It really was. But I do remember that quote, all that good is, is not gold. And our teacher made sure that we remembered this particular part. Um, there was an opportunity, of course, to go and see a play in Stratford. And I loved high school. I did a lot of things in high school. My biggest regret in high school is I never went to a live Shakespearean play. Shame on me. I should have done it. Um, but this particular speech is done, it is, it is executed by Portia. She's dressed as a man because back in those days, uh, women could not become lawyers. And there she was, and she was uh, speaking on behalf of Antonio, who was in dire straits because he had promised that he was going to pay back a loan. And the, and the lender had the upper hand. The lender had the law on his side. He had the bond right there that if Antonio could not pay back this loan, and sadly he couldn't because of a natural disaster, he would have, but he couldn't because all of his wealth just sunk into the ocean. So here he is, he's desperate. He's got a woman, a very intelligent woman up there pleading for him and the idea here is that mercy has a certain 
quality to it. And Shakespeare brings out this idea that mercy is something that is intrinsic to the character of God. And he's kind of imploring Shylock at this point to, hey, have mercy. This is actually divine. This is one of the divine attributes. And I think for all of us, this is where we come ultimately at some point in our life that we are crying out for mercy or forgiveness, grace. You can name whatever word that you, you might. To, to the bank manager, when you can't pay that loan. Now, I don't expect much mercy from the CIBC. Uh, to your dad, when you, when you lied to him or whatever it was that you did when you were a kid. Uh, to your partner, when you've committed sin of adultery, whatever it is, and you want to keep the relationship together, whatever it is, uh, we get to this point. So let, let us review the story. Jesus was by the Sea of Galilee. Remember the boat scene. Remember um, Peter walking on the water last week. These teachers came up all the way from Jerusalem to get at Jesus or, or get at his disciples. And so now Jesus, and what has happened is that crowds are following him everywhere he goes. So in this case, he's going away to get away from the crowds. And so he goes to a place that's really not part of the nation. He goes to the four. It would be like someone from here going to Tehran, somewhere like that, just to kind of get away from whatever was going on here in Toronto or Ontario or Canada or, or North America or even the English-speaking world. Just get away. That's what Jesus did. This is the land of Phoenicia. It's by the coast. They were known, known as warriors. They were known as shipbuilders, clearly, and that's the place it was. And so he goes away there. And he goes away with his disciples, and Mark tells us he goes into a house. He just needs to get away. However, while he was there, and this is the thing about Jesus, he was attractive. He had attributes that people were interested in and people knew about. Even those places at that point where God's revelation really hadn't come to. So he tried to go away. Think of going to Tehran, going to a cafe, and someone comes up to you, a Muslim man or woman or child, and says, hey, I hear that you're from Canada. I hear that you go to a place where they teach about Jesus. Could you tell me something about Jesus? It, it, it might be like that. And clearly, uh, desperate, crying out. In our culture, we don't cry out very much. It's part of the English thing. Suppress your emotions, stiff upper lip. 
but in these culture, when they felt pain, they cried out. And, and so she, she just basically puts it all there. She has a sense of who Jesus is, and she's crying out herself for mercy. She has, she has, she has a need. She has a defect. She has something about her life that is so desperate. She's willing to go to a Jew and ask him for not just help, but for mercy as if her life depended on it. And it, it actually um, wasn't her, it was her daughter. And notice here, she understands his identity. Lord, son of David, these are all Jewish identity things, things that Gentiles really shouldn't know about. She knows about them. How did she know? I don't know. Clearly the Spirit revealed something about Jesus to her. Just like today, the Spirit is working in the world, in our nation, in our city, in our church, to reveal something about Jesus to all of us. And what happens is Jesus didn't say anything to her. So try to imagine, try to imagine the scene, right? This is real drama. Someone comes up to Jesus, as many people have already come up to him, and she's crying out for mercy. She's, she is being vulnerable more than that. She's desperate more than that. Her life depends on it. And actually, she saw her life as tied up in the life of her daughter. Maybe it was, maybe it was all that she had. I don't know. Maybe she was single. I, I don't know. And what Jesus does, this is, this is Jesus now. This is, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the same person. And now he's outside of his normal space, his nation, his calling, his mission, and he doesn't say anything to her. Now, if you want to get me down. If you want to crush me, you out there who are my friends, who I trust, who I love, who you've helped me, I've shared stuff with you. If you really want to crush me, just when I say something to you, and it might be just something about the weather or something about going out on my bike or some little story that I tell you about astronomy or or Shakespeare, whatever it is. And if you just ignore me, you just don't say anything. For me, it's insulting. Uh, that's, I guess, the worst spin I can put on it, that's, that you've insulted me. It is dehumanizing. Yeah, I'm crushed. I, I'm thinking... This person doesn't even want to give me the dignity of being a human. Part of being a human is that you exchange ideas with someone. Someone's talking to you in good faith and they ask you a question. They make a demand of you. You expect an answer, but Jesus, silence. So if I'm this woman, I'm telling you what I'm doing. I'm thinking evil things about Jesus. I'm crushed. 
and that's it. I'm, I'm going away. That's part of my personality. Even if I ask you and beg of you and you say, sorry, no way. I, I'm crushed. I'm not going back. I'm not taking off all my clothes now. I'm not, I'm not going to the next level and saying, unless you do this, I'm going to die. I'm not going there. I'm just crushed, and I'm going to walk away, and I might be shaking my head that this is not the person who I thought it was. I'm telling you me now. So let's, let's see what happens next. And his friends, his students, the ones who knew him, lived with him, saw him, experienced everything, they were annoyed, they were bothered. Clearly, they were, they were being bugged. And I think, I think the intention here was, hey, just heal her so we can move on. Meaning, we've got stuff to do, we have a meal, we have some literature to read, where, you know, we've gone away for a little holiday, we have our little cottage, and there's a lake, and there's some fishing rods there, and, and some crazy people from the town are here making noise and rioting and whatever. Just give them what they want, and they'll go away. That's, that's their thing. So they're, they're, they're part of the, the, the inner circle. They don't want anyone to come into the circle. And they're selfish, and they just they don't like to be bothered. These are not good attributes, by the way, of a follower of Jesus. And so Jesus, I think, is answering them and saying, I'm not going to heal her just because she's bothering you. Remember, my, my mission is God sent me to this nation, to this nation that he chose. Of all the nations of the world, he sees Abram, and he says, I'm going to make a nation of this one man who's really old, and his wife's really old, and, and I'm going to choose them. And they're going to be numerous, and I'm going to have favor on them, and I'm going to make promises to them. And I'm doing it not because they're better, not because they're smarter or more intelligent or better actors or better musicians or better surgeons or more, more noble or more kind or gracious. None of those reasons. If anything, they might be a bit worse. And so that, that is part of the revelation in God's word. That might trouble you. It kind of troubles me that when God is on mission in the world, he's dealing with a nation, primarily, there are other nations out there, and it's not as if there's nothing there, but primarily he's dealing with, like, this is my team. I'm coach of this team. You want me to come out and coach your team? You want me to basically give all of my tools so that your team can win the Stanley Cup or, or uh, Japan can actually win the gold medal? No. This is what I'm doing. This is my country. This is where I was raised. This is what I'm doing. I'm sorry. 
uh, when I heard that, that would say to me, forget it. I'm not a Jew. Forget it. I'm not a Canadian. Forget it. I'm not a Toronto Maple Leaf. Whatever it is, forget it. There's no chance. That would be me. And uh, so this woman, Gentile woman, desperate, crying out for mercy, goes to the next level. I don't know how many of you have ever got down and knelt before someone. I'm sure that there's some romantic men out there who proposed to their future brides and they got down and they went through this little rigmarole. I don't think they kept doing it every day of their lives. But I'm talking about desperation. How many of you have got down because you were so desperate? Down and humbled yourself. And she just cuts through everything else. She keeps the Lord part, but just says, help me. And so Jesus, so remember, nothing. Next, he's talking to his disciples. He's still ignoring her and tells them, hey, I'm not going to heal her just for your sake, because my mission is not to Phoenicia, but rather to Israel. And now she keeps going, and now he is finally engaging her. And it's like, hey, you heard what I said. I'm not going to go to Tibet and coach hockey. I'm not going to do it. It's not And furthermore, you Mongolians, you'll never learn how to skate. I'm sorry. You'll never, you'll never actually do it. You can try, but you'll never get out of the third rung of the the hockey association where you'll even play at any stage. You're Tibetans, you're Mongolians, you'll probably never even get ice. How can you expect to escape? So that's, what if you heard that? Sorry for the analogy, but it just sort of popped into my head. It says, it just wouldn't be right. (laughs) It'd be a waste of my skill to do that. And by the way, the word dog is derogatory. It is derogatory. If you look at the biblical record, the word dog is just not someone who is not royalty. It is someone who's not just a commoner. It is a... I don't even know what the word is. It's for some nasty, evil, ugly, disabled... Put it all together. It's just a lowly person. That's, that's the expression that the nation used for, for the Gentiles. And you can look it up. Uh, it's not pretty. So now this is, this is Jesus again. So now this is what he tells you. Remember, I'm already gone. I'm not sticking around. I'm devastated. I'm not going to keep humbling myself and persisting. 
at this point because I don't believe in, I don't believe in exclusive stuff, by the way. Never have. Never, ever, ever have. I'm a flat guy. I'm a, I'm a anti-authoritarian guy. And so when I hear anything that smacks of elitism, it really gets me upset. Like, what makes you think that you're better than me? Like I told this story to my little community group, you know, that I'm playing euphonium and like I'm a hacker, really. I'm trying. And I go out to the practice and I've only been there maybe two months or whatever. And there's other guys there like me and they're playing their trombones and, you know, they've been there maybe for two years or 10 years or whatever. And so at some point I see them kind of uh, sniggering or kind of shaking their head, whatever, like I had a solo piece and it didn't sound too good. And so there, and I'm like, and I was, that was hard for me, but I'm thinking, guys, do you think you're professional? <laughs> like, like, who are you guys to be, th to be saying anything like, like I'm a hacker, really, but you might be two steps up, you know, and there's a thousand steps. So guys, like, meaning none of you guys are going to the NHL. You, you guys playing shinny here, don't think you're so good. None of you, none of you are going. You AAA guy, you're not going to the NHL. Don't think that you're, so anyway, let's get back. Sorry about that. Here it is. She's much different than I am. After all that, Yes, what you're saying is true. She's able to see the truth of something that is totally against her. Totally against her, nothing for her. It's like the banker saying, listen, I've got to protect the shareholders, so I can't help you. I can't even give you a dollar. And so she says, yes, she respects that this is the bank manager, Lord. And she basically says, to use the bank analogy, if you just give me 10 cents, that will be enough. Or if you just ship us all of the used equipment that your team used 10 years ago. Take it out of the attic and we'll pay the postage. If you just ship that, those hockey skates over to Tibet, that will be enough for us. That's what she says. Brilliant, brilliant. Here it is. Here it is. Jesus now, in his humanity, I mean, he knows what's going on. He knows her heart. He knows her mind. I don't know why this has happened this way, but it got to this point, and she demonstrated her understanding of Jesus, her faith, her persistence, her patience, her respect, and Jesus just lays it out there. You have the right stuff. You are 
the kind of person that I'm going to respond to. And it happens. That coach, Scotty Bowman, goes over to Tibet for three months and has a clinic on hockey, whatever it is. And it's and it works. They're playing hockey, they're enjoying the game, you know, they don't get to the Olympics, but they're there. That's it. That's the end. Jesus actually hears her, commends her, and does exactly what she wants, and does it immediately. So, let's, let's finish off here. Uh, two things. So what? What does this mean for me? What does it mean for you? Um, I think the simple thing, and it should be obvious, I think, to anyone, that if we're going to come to if you're going to come to Jesus and you're a Gentile, I think most of you are, then you're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to be honest with him. You're going to have to demonstrate that you are powerless, that before God you really have nothing on him because you, you, you are a creature and you are going to have to demonstrate faith and demonstrate that you're serious and demonstrate that you're willing to repent and you're going to you're going to have to believe that Jesus can do something to help you in whatever state you're in and i think so that's i think the obvious thing for us for me you have to humble yourself if Jesus is going to save you is going to have a spirit dwell in you, you can't be proud, you can't be independent, you can't be uh, easy with sin, you can't fake repentance, you can't play a game, you've got to be genuine, and you've got to be humble, and you've got to be desperate. And I think that's the big thing about our culture. Why would you be desperate? You know, even with COVID, uh, you have a government, and I I'm not saying anything wrong with that. It's very generous. You have the government giving you checks every month to keep you fed and maybe some clothes and help you pay your rent. You're not desperate. You know, it's not like your spouse kicks you out of the house and there's nothing. You've lost all of your status and your bank account. No. So that's, that's I think, a lesson for us that if those who come to God has to, must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently, seriously seek him. And then, um, this is personal for me, and I know for you it's personal, and I know there are many cases like this. This is my daughter. So this is, this is for me. And I know we all have kids. We have grandkids out there. I'm just telling you a little bit about my heart. Uh, this is Becky. Seven years ago, I went uh, to visit her in Montreal. She was working at Cafe Nocayad, and we went out to, 
to the site of Expo where I was as a grade eight student and saw the geodesic dome, Buckminster Fuller and all of that. Um, but I believe that my daughter needs some healing. I'm her dad. I believe that she needs to find someone who's going to love her more than me. And thus far, it hasn't happened. And thus far, I think she's made some mistakes. And over time, and she's our miracle baby, by the way. We had four kids, and we'd stopped, and then we were away at a camp in, in PEI, and Allison met this Christian doctor who had eight kids, and he convinced her to have another child, not me. And so we had to do some physiological gymnastics. You know, I won't get into that. That's really not, that's not for you guys. Uh, but anyway, Becky came uh, five years later. And she's artistic. She's taught me so much about what it is, to, what art is, and all of that. So my, so my, so my brain, I had, a, I had a lobotomy, and now I've got a full brain, you know. But I can give up praying for Becky because I've been praying for her for a long time. And there hasn't been much of an answer, really. She hasn't been healed instantly. So for me, I have to be more like that woman. I have to be a bit more desperate, a bit more honest, a bit more persistent, and a bit more, please, 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 if you're able, you are able. Can you? Will you? Your Lord, your Savior, this is, your, this is what you do. Can you help me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. They're humbling words, but uh, help us to have faith. Faith in you, in your character, in who you are, in your mission, in your, in your, in your lordship in your authority over the nations and over Israel and over the planet. Help us, Lord, to fit in, fit in to who you are. And Lord, help us to seek you while there's time. Amen.